Hello, friends. Coffee and Beer Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Nick Pinizzato, here with the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman. And today's guest is going to be Greg Farrell. He's the senior category manager at First Light. Actually heads their whitetail category, which should be near and dear to everyone's hearts here. Greg and I just hunted together in Kentucky. And so it was a perfect opportunity to sit down and have a conversation about what he's up to, how First Light camo products actually come to life, which is fascinating. I, I knew that they spent a lot of time on it and that they didn't just throw stuff out there willy-nilly, but I was really blown away by the detail involved. So we'll talk about that. Also talk a little hunting with him. In addition to the interview, the doctor and I were deep in deer hunting um the deer hunting schedule and so we've got status reports and of course the b team report and every time we think we cannot do ourselves i say we because i want to share the blame but uh, i have i have a report that is probably too stupid to believe this seems like a perfect time to bring in a man who is currently being taunted by his target buck the doctor I know it's at least this time I was ready for you to correctly introduce me and I wasn't confused with who you were talking about. So I am here ready to go. But, uh, as you said, um, in the game playing, playing cat and mouse. And right now it's buck, I think four Mike zero. Yeah. Well, that's typically how it goes, right? You know, they, exactly they, right. they win a lot of the time. We only got to win once. So we have an unfair advantage. Hey, our show sponsor, Makes Sense, would be First Light. And what I want to focus on, we've talked about First Light plenty, big NDA sponsor, layering and how key that is. And especially with traveling, I've been traveling a fair amount. Uh, I was just at Kentucky hunting. Then I was in Delaware, now back in Pennsylvania. And they've just really nailed layering. And the, the key is being versatile. You have to be ready for just about any temperatures. I can tell you that between... The last couple of weeks between Kentucky and Ohio, or Ohio, that's probably just wishful thinking. I, miss I, I was going to say you're flashing back. <laughs> yeah, I, I miss the Buckeye State. But anyway, between Kentucky and Delaware, I have seen temperatures as high as 80 and as low as mid-30s. And so <laughs> you got to be versatile. And so First Light provides a lot of versatility in their layering. They have kits that, they can, that they've already designed for you to keep it simple. Also, the Spectre camo pattern. By the way, if you buy anything with Spectre, a portion of those proceeds support the National Deer Association, so keep that in mind. But it's a great pattern. If I ever get spotted in a tree, it's only because I'm doing some, something stupid, moving, trying to get a, my camera lined up, something along those lines. But it's very rare. And as you're going to hear in the interview with Greg, the research and development is just unmatched. As I said, it's really amazing what they go through before they're willing to put a piece of gear on the market. So First Light, if you don't own any, get yourself, maybe start out with the base layer, and then you're going to want more, I promise you. Speaking of First Light, we have some uh, NDA logo First Light hats. These are coming off of our recent membership promotion we did where you got one of these hats. Well, we're selling them in the store. So if you go to deerassociation.com, you can get them there for 30 bucks. And it really is just a while they last situation. So it's, um, I would just say, take advantage of the opportunity while you have it. Very cool hats. And also, speaking of those hats, 
we'll add a little spice to the pod here, Mike, because okay. I have I have not received any ask NDA anything questions yet. Okay. So this, you're gonna you're gonna guilt everybody. Here we go. This Drum is where roll. the shaming comes in. Yep. Okay. This is yep. And so I'm in attack mode, but here's here's what I'm gonna do. Since y'all have been lazy and I know you've been out hunting, so it's a fair, you know, it's it's a fair time to to be a little bit slow in getting us your questions. Uh, instead of giving you the standard gray NDA membership hat, if you if we use your question, I'm gonna give you one of these nice first light hats. Okay. And so there you have it. We should have questions. So you're 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 baiting you're baiting everybody. I hate to have to do that, Mike, but I'm not a, I'm definitely not above bribery. So No, no, no. Bribery <laughs> is good. Yeah, I mean that's what makes the world go round, right? So anyway, uh buy yourself a hat. If you're too cheap to buy a hat, send in a question and by chance we'll pick it and then you'll get a hat for free. Because I'm looking at the NDA shop right now and those hats are thirty dollars. So taking a couple minutes to put in an email, you could save you thirty dollars on a really good hat. Not to mention, Mike, it's the one that I wear. And so if you follow all my social media and my Instagram postings of late, you'll see me in my first light hat. And so if for no other reason you need one because I wear them, that's how popular I am. Am I, am I, hit, am I hitting the mark there, doctor, or am I missing? I think so. I think so. I mean, it's everyone, everyone wants to be like you. <laughs> well, as they're going to hear here in a few minutes, no, they don't. Exactly. Because I've got nothing but misery to report today so anyway all right let's get serious here anyway ask Andy any anything next week get your questions in all right let's go ahead and get to the interview we have so much to cover afterward anyway let's go ahead and bring in from first light greg farrell we are here on location Greg Farrell from First Light, and I've already forgotten the title. So we, I just said the title three or four times, <laughs> and you read it back to me. Senior Whitetail Category Manager. You got it. I got it. Nailed All right. It. I nailed it. Uh, Greg is here with us. We're actually, if you recognize the audio is a little different, we are on location in southern Kentucky hunting giant whitetail bucks, and you saw a good one this morning. Yeah. We uh, had a little bit of a show this morning. Had some bucks chasing does and um grunted a pretty good one into inside of 40 but just didn't didn't have a shot on them that that seems to happen a lot it does they get smart when they're that old <laughs> yeah they do they do and so this hunt is one that we raffled off earlier in the year at nda and on the nda side it's a hunt with me which we should probably give you money back for that and uh hank forrester is here our director of hunting and he is doing all the cooking food's been pretty good right we are not going hungry, that's no. for sure. No. Hank's doing a great job. Hank's doing a great job. And so we have hunters in from North Carolina and hunters in from New York and Wisconsin. And so it's been slow, really, the first couple of days. But it just goes to show you, once it's November, you have to be ready at any time. Because when that light's on this morning, we saw between our group, we probably, probably saw five or six different bucks this morning. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's like you said, it's November, anything can happen, and it doesn't take much, you know, that switch flips and all of a sudden they start doing ruddy things and that's when it gets fun. But yep. you just got to put yourself in the woods during the right time of the year and eventually something happens. So so I want to cover a few bases here with you. I think there's a lot of things that you do that people, our listeners would be interested in hearing about. 
Uh, obviously, everyone listening to this knows First Light's a huge partner of NDA. And um, as part of the, the way to spice this hunt up was to bring you here. We've got a cameraman here with you. Uh, you brought some some new products that you're working on for our guests to try out. So that's pretty cool. But really, just tell us a little bit about you personally, and then we'll get into kind of what does a day in the life for you look like? Yeah. Um, you know, personally, I would say, you know, kind of at the core of my passions is whitetail hunting, which obviously aligns, you know, very well with what I do for First Light. Um, but I grew up in the Midwest, uh, was born and raised in Wisconsin, cut my teeth on whitetail. So that's kind of always been, um, you know, where it all started for me. Uh, moved out West when I started, you know, working with First Light and lived out there for about three and a half years um, and really got into, I had done some Western hunting before that, but really got into it then. But ultimately, you know, um, I'm the guy in the office that everybody makes fun of because I'll give up hunting elk and mule deer to go sit <laughs> in a tree stand. I don't blame you. Um, and that's kind of, you know, what led me to to my position with First Light. Um, so it kind of just, you know, it all started from that, you know, that personal passion of chasing whitetails and, you know, learning about whitetails and spending time in the whitetail woods and mm-hmm. um, kind of led me to where I am today. So I'm going to ask you this question because it's one that I get a lot. And so now here you are in a great job. I think you said you've been with First Light for about eight years. Is that correct? I think it'll be eight years this June, I believe. So whenever young Greg was growing up and you're thinking, what do I want to do when I grow up? Yeah. Was, was something like this ever on your radar or did you kind of just find your way there? You know, I think it was always kind of that dream job, right? But to be completely honest, I never thought it would be a reality. Um, I was actually having this conversation with Dylan, who's uh, Dylan Lenz is with me on this trip filming me in the in the tree yesterday. And he's like, how'd you get into this? You know, and I was <laughs> like, well, ironically, um, I went to uh, college at UW-Cross and I majored in biology and chemistry. So not at all related to what I'm doing. But that being said, you know, growing up, my whole family's in the trades. I worked as a carpenter for a while. So mm-hmm. I was always I was always the guy that was buying hunting gear and kind of like taking it apart putting it back together, DIYing stuff. Cause I always wanted specific solutions for what I needed. And when products didn't offer those solutions, I just kind of took it upon myself to make those solutions for myself. Um, so after college, um, I joke, but it's kind of true. I stayed for two more years for grad school cause I was in Western Wisconsin and the deer hunting's incredible. <laughs> so it was a really expensive way to deer hunt I'll for say, two more years. Um, but then I actually started teaching. So I taught high school for, uh, four years um, and first light, which I was a fan of the brand, I was wearing their stuff. They posted a job and it was, um, in sales, marketing and customer service. It was like a three month job slash internship slash like trial period. Mm-hmm. Um, cause at that time their busy seasons were June, July and August. And that was kind of how they were hiring people at the time is they bring you on for June, July and August. And then if things went well, you know, what offer the you a job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I give a lot of credit, you know, our, um, one of our higher ups at the time, his name is Ross Copperman. The day I showed up in Idaho. So I moved from Wisconsin to Idaho during my summer off of teaching wow. to work this job for first light. And, um, I had kind of like an entrance interview with him and he's like, Hey, you know, so if this works out, what do you ultimately see yourself doing for first light? And I kind of told the same story. I just told you, I was the guy that I was, was, I was tinkering with things and fixing things and making them better. And I was like, odd. Oh, product development's kind of like, you know, my passion. And he's like, all right, cool. You know, like good to know that long story short, you know, did the three months there for me a job. I was the second person in our product team at the time. It was just me and my boss. And yeah, I've been there, been there ever since. 
Wow, that's awesome. And that follows so many people. We have this conversation, their path, because my answer always is, well, there really isn't a direct path. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever met anybody that said, you know, when I got out of school, I knew I wanted to work in the outdoors field somewhere. And that's what I did. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happens, I suppose. But a lot of times, I mean, that's awesome. You were doing carpentry, you were teaching, you're actually a scientist. So you're a natural tinker, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to know how things work. And so, yeah, now you're in research and development with First Light. Yeah. Yeah. Bunch of R&D and product development, you know, and in hindsight, you know, knowing where I ended up, you know, if I could do it all again, like I think some type of industrial design or, you know, something like that would have been helpful. But at a certain point, I'm almost glad I didn't have a traditional Mm -hmm. path because Mm -hmm. I've really had to learn everything on my own. And I think that in a way that's made me look at things through a different lens than somebody who's more traditionally trained in my role would do. Um, which I think sometimes is helpful, right? Like when you're always trying to innovate, we're never trying to make me too products or trying to solve problems and come up with solutions mm-hmm. and, you know, build innovative gear. I think it's really helpful to look at things through a multitude of lenses, whether it's, you know, your other passions like skiing or mountain biking or hiking or, you know, trail running, um, or just having different experiences through your education, your upbringing. Um, I think it helps with coming up with creative solutions to problems that we face as hunters, right? Yeah. And I love that answer. People are often surprised. I, my master's degree is in psychology. Yeah. And they're like, what? I'm like, well, I was always a redneck deer hunter like yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And so I work with tons of biologists that know all the biology. And then the nice thing is I sort of help them. You know, how do we interpret this? You know, how do we how do we get that word out? Uh, and so it's uh, it's interesting. I think it is helpful not to be just so core. Like you said, you can see things from a lot of different lenses. And I think that helps. So I'm certain that the average person has no idea what goes into a piece of camo that they're wearing, right? So take us through, uh, we'll use, let's just pick up an item. We'll say pants. Someone comes, you have an idea to start a new pair of pants for first slate. How does, what does the process even look like? Where do you begin? Yeah. You know, and, and to your point, I had no idea what went into a piece (laughs) of camo before I started this job and was baffled at, you know, what that product development cycle looks like, Mm -hmm. um, when I moved into it. So I think, you know, from a pretty high level, if we break it down in like a single products development cycle. So, you know, from the time that that idea, let's call it for this pair of pants goes on a piece of paper, you know, it goes on a long list of, you know, all right, we're moving into our next development cycle. Let's create our long list of either solutions we need to, um, come up with problems we need to solve, or maybe holes that we have in our current line. So from that point till the time the product reaches the website for a customer to buy is typically between two and two and a half years. Um, So kind of, you know, at a very high level, it starts as an idea. You know, we hone in on what projects we're going to take on. The idea gets approved. We then immediately start doing, you know, all of our development, you know, research and um, design from at the textile level. So if it's a insulated pant, you know, we're looking at face fabric, insulation, lining fabrics. Mm-hmm. If it's a single layer, soft shell, you know, we're looking at what textiles are most appropriate for that given scenario. You know, in the whitetail world, we're always concerned about noise. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. We also don't want things to tear when you walk through some green briars, right, or over a barbed wire fence. So durability is huge. Um, you know, so we're looking at the characteristics that the textile needs to have. And you know, once we hone in on, it's like, okay, these are called our top five candidates, then we'll dive into lab testing. 
So there's a bunch of standardized lab testing um, that we can submit these textiles for, you know, abrasion, pilling, tear strength, tensile strength, all of those things. We use that to narrow it down to maybe one or two. Mm -hmm. At that point, you know, kind of in parallel to that, we're working on design. So what are the design features this pant needs to have? You know, what's the fit? Um, are there certain areas that need to be double layered or have, you know, additional um, textiles built in them, things like that. So once we have an approved design and approved textile, we'll then go into prototyping. And at that point, it typically takes, you know, one to, you know, most times three rounds of prototyping. So that's us communicating, hey, this is the design, this is the textile, this is the, you know, the grade of the sizing, things like that. And our manufacturers working on producing that thing. And we'll hone that in over, you know, call it three rounds or so. And then once that's done, you know, so now we're probably about a year into the process at that point, you know, give or take, we'll put what we call kind of like a final prototype into the field. So for example, right now it's November of 2022. I have the final prototypes of 2024 product oh, wow. that I'm yeah. testing in the field this year. That's myself. It's a small group of, you know, kind of um, really close knit first light folks um, about, you know, 10 to 15 folks mm -hmm. that'll be running those prototypes through the paces this entire season. We'll then get together, I'll get all those folks together and we'll do, you know, kind of a hot wash. What worked, what didn't, what needs to be fixed, what needs to be changed, what needs to be updated. Um, and then we'll go into what we call um, basically like a market sample run. So the market sample run then would essentially be finished next year at this time. So in November, well, it'll be finished before that. Let's call it like September, right? September of 2023. We then have a, you know, kind of a wider net we cast. So we get, you know, 50 to 70 of these market samples built. And that goes out to a broader team, right? Okay. Um, you know, so meat eater folks, some other team folks, et cetera. And then they put that gear through the paces for a whole nother season, right? And then we do kind of that hot wash again, make, you know, small updates, et cetera. And then come spring of 2024, it actually gets released to the public. So as a first light consumer, if you buy a piece of gear from us, it's been in the field being tested a minimum of two years and probably, you know, six to eight months of lab testing even prior to that. So right now people listening to this are like, whoa, what? Are you kidding me? Like it takes two years minimum to get something out to the market. And so one thing, I, I'm, I'm obviously first light head to toe, love the stuff. Uh, the pockets are right where you need them. You know, you're uh, knowing that you're an avid whitetail hunter. I'm sure you, your thought process was into a lot of those things, right? But first light is not, it's not cheap camo, right? And it's not even camo to me. It's more gear. It's part of the gear. And so my hope is that people listening to this understand that, yes, you can go in, into a box store and, and pick up camo to have camo but to really go out and hunt and to be comfortable during that entire hunt and whether you're moving whether you're setting multiple conditions there's a reason you're putting all this effort in right it's not just to, to make it look good i mean you're putting a lot of deep thought engineering fabric choice testing extensive testing so you're not just buying camo right you're buying a system yeah. And I, I, I appreciate that you look at it that way. That's the way I look at it too. Um, but believe me, being in the, the jobs that I held, you know, previous to first light, I appreciate, you know, how expensive the gear is. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think you're spot on it's gear. And what I always tell people or, you know, what I try to convey is like, you don't have to buy an entire kit right away. You know, I always say, start with the foundation, mm -hmm. you know, get yourself some really good base layers, right? Because 
that's the foundation of your kit. And that's probably the most important part. And you kind of work your way out, you know? Um, you know, and I have people tell me all the time, it's like, well, you know, my grand, my grandpa killed deer and car hearts and, you know, flannel jackets and, right, right. and yeah. And like you can kill deer and carts and flannel jackets, but guess what? Like people used to drive a horse and buggy to their job, right? They don't do that anymore because they don't have to. And for whitetail hunting, so much of what we eventually need to do to be successful is time in the stand. Mm -hmm. And if I'm cold or uncomfortable or whatever, I'm not thinking about staying in the stand. I'm thinking about how cold or uncomfortable I am. So what I try and do is provide solutions where you can be comfortable to the point where you have the right kit, you know, to your point to, if you got to walk in a ways, you have, you're doing a hanging hunt where you, you have a period of exertion, right? You need to manage that heat and that moisture because then right after that, you have a period of inactivity and it's a long period, right? So having a system, having a kit that can manage that range of activities and temperatures and outputs to keep you comfortable and keep you in the stand, that's what's important. Yep. I mean, and this hunt is a prime example of that. Number one, we're not here just trying to kill a deer, right? I mean, we're after five, six-year-old bucks, okay? That's hard. That's, a, you know, a lot of people may never, never even see a deer that age class, so it takes time. Uh, it takes quiet obviously. But even this morning, and this is so typical with this time of year, we go out this morning, temperatures in the mid forties, we'll say. And so you need to be warm for that. And so my situation where I was, I was actually going downhill. My sticks were already on the tree from the night before, so I didn't have to exert a whole lot. But then as soon as that sun comes up today, it's going to get to close to 70. So I wore the the wick hoodie, which is a great piece, but the, the source jacket, which I, that's my favorite piece. And it just came out this year. About midway through the morning, I just slipped that off, and that wick hoodie was perfect. And I could sit out there if I wanted to sit there all day until 70 degrees, I'd still be comfortable. Now, this evening, it's going to be warm when we go out. And where I'm thinking I'm going is straight up the hill to start with, right? So it's going to be the thinnest layer. But if you carry the source jacket that you can mash down into a little ball or another layer, it's going to get cool as soon as that sun goes down. And so I want to be able to slip that on. And so that just this one hunt is just one example of the different conditions and things that you could face. Yeah. You know, moisture kills, right? If you're wet, regardless of the temperature outside, it's really hard to stay warm. And I think that's something that, you know, we as whitetail hunters traditionally have not done a, a great job of because I think the mindset, you know, of the more traditional whitetail hunters, well, you have your pants, you have your jacket, you put them on at the truck, you walk to the stand, you climb up there and you sit, you know, and if, if you do that, a lot of times, like our, as whitetail hunters, windproofness is important to us, right? Because when you're up in a tree and the winds, I always tell people like, when I'm trying to explain windproofness, it's like, all right, if you open the patio door in your house and the front door, what happens? The wind goes right through there, right? The same thing is happening in this kind of system that you build. If it's not windproof, the wind's coming right through and it's taking all the heat that your body's generating with it. So we have really shut down outerwear. That's required mm-hmm. for us. However, if you're wearing that shutdown outerwear while you're exerting yourself, and exerting yourself could be a 400-yard walk in, you build up a bunch of moisture in that system, right? And it's not going to let that moisture go through because it's designed not to. Yeah. You're going to be uncomfortable. So doing what, you know, what you're talking about, having a kit for you know, walking in, sitting, you know, shedding some layers, adding some layers, that's how you stay dry. It's how you keep your relative humidity next to skin, mm-hmm. you know at the appropriate um, level and, and that's how you stay comfortable. So the, you just came out with the trigger glove. Mm-hmm. Okay. Really cool concept. What I like about it is again, I'll use this morning. 
everything's wet out there this morning. There's a, a lot of dew on, and uh, if you're climbing up, everything's wet. They're waterproof on the outside, but then you can just flip them back and your fingers are free. So just tell us a little bit about those because those literally just got released this week. Yeah. So, um, the great thing about, you know, a uh, a waterproof style, um, glove or mitt, what have you is going to be that, you know, to your point, we do these things where you're grabbing stuff that's wet, right. Or there's moisture. And again, you know, moisture kills. So mm-hmm. if, if your hands get wet, they're going to probably stay wet for a while because you're not actively warming your hands up, you know, typically to dry that textile out. So having a glove that's versatile, you know, that can provide some insulation, um, that can also, you know, give you the dexterity. You need. that's a big thing as, as archery hunters, the dexterity of your pointer finger or thumb, depending on if you shoot a, you know, a thumb release or an index finger release or a back tension release, like having that, you know, skin to trigger contact is really important. Um, so we're not afforded the ability to wear big, heavy duty gloves. You know, I typically wouldn't wear gloves if I don't have to, which is great with like our kit link system on the solitude, the sanctuary mm-hmm. like you can get your hands next to skin or um, next to body and keep them warm. Um, so it's, it's trying to, you know, kind of walk that fine line of, of durability, a little bit of insulation, some, some weather protection, but maintaining the dexterity we need as archery hunters when we're in the stand. All right, let's switch gears to some of the fun stuff. All right, so you're here in Kentucky. Now, this there's 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 the time of year where you're doing R&D all the time, and now there's this time of year. So tell us about that. I mean, this has to be one of the cool parts of your job, right? You get to hunt a bunch of different places. Uh, where have you been so far this year? Now you're in Kentucky, and tell us where you're going. Yeah, so I've stayed uh, – I live in Wisconsin, so I've stayed pretty close to home so far this year. Um, I have a few different properties that I hunt kind of across the state. I've been bopping back and forth between those. Um, yeah, and then this kind of kicks off my you know, my crazy November, kind of chasing the rut all over the place. So we're here this week. Um, I'll head to Kansas um, almost directly from here. I have about a week and a half to two weeks slated there, you know, depending oh, wow. on how things go. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll come back to Wisconsin for our – we do a, a gun season. Um, it's kind of like a traditional gun camp. You know, we've had the same five to seven people that have gone the last 15 years. So I'll come back for that. And then um, I'm headed to Mississippi in December, um, kind of chase the rut there. Mm-hmm. And then um, Southern Ohio for, you know, that late season, you know, late into January, which is one of my favorite times to chase whitetails to that super late season. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of, and then I'll mix some other, you know, Wisconsin hunts in there, um, in between, but yeah, that's kind of what my fall looks like. So people are salivating right now. Like, Wait a minute. How did he say he got that job again? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not too bad that you happen to be in Wisconsin too, right? A pretty good deer state. But one thing that stood out to me that I, I appreciate hearing you saying was that no matter where you're going, you're going to be back there with the guys, right? At camp doing yep. the rifle deer thing. Cause that's tradition, right? So it doesn't matter like, you know, how, how big you are and become, you're still part of that. And that's important to you. And that's one of my most fun camps of the year. I mean, we hunt northern wisconsin which has very low deer densities Mm -hmm. right it's big woods um not a lot of ag so the deer don't get huge um in terms of what they put on their heads right but big bodied deer um they're pretty skittish um so in terms of you know you know if if you only look at that hunt from like trophy potential or opportunity potential it's pretty low but for me you know it's such a it's so rich in tradition you know not only in the midwest but for my small group of you know friends that i now call family and, and family that's involved too and it's a lot about spending that time together you know playing euchre at the kitchen table at dinner you know having a few beers together sharing stories um 
you know, that means as much to me, if not more than, you know, going to Kansas or Iowa or, you know, Illinois and killing mm-hmm. a big giant deer, that, that camaraderie and that tradition. I mean, that's why we do this at the end of the day, right? That's what, that's, what's important to me about deer hunting. Yeah. I mean, even here in this camp, any, any time we've done this, everybody that leaves is, they have a great experience, whether or not they kill a deer or not. And it's because of that camp atmosphere. It's good food. It's having a few beers. It's kicking around deer stories. You know, we kill a lot of deer here from years past that, that, um, you know, kind of keeps the conversation going, which is fun. Um, so you've been here, this is, I guess this would be the second full day of the hunt and you got yourself close to a really mature deer today. Uh, we got the, it's nice having a cameraman along, right? I'm trying to self film out there, (laughs) but, uh, you know, camera guy gets really beautiful footage of this deer. So just a few tips. So you were able out of, out of everyone here so far, you're the only one that's gotten close to a mature deer and you did that in two days. So just take us through a few things that you maybe were looking at when you got here to a brand new piece of property to get yourself close like that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, what's fun for me, right? It's, it's really fun to have your home ground that, you know, like the back of your hand, you know, it's pretty predictable, you know, the deer there, you know, Mm -hmm. you know how they act with certain wind directions and things like that. You know, the topography, you know, your entry and exit routes, but to step ground on a new piece of property. And and this is a huge chunk of property, right? Like 3000 acres in mountains and yeah. Yeah. Um, and I love this. So, you know, we've been, super mobile. We've hung a new set every single sit, you know, and the way I started is like, basically we walked in here, right. On night one, it's, we were looking at maps and we got some Intel from the landowner. I got some Intel from you guys that have been here before Mm -hmm. on just general things. Right. And then, you know, I'm looking for pinch points, you know, travel corridors between food and bedding, um, you know, topography features that are going to try and funnel deer. And we just kind of started with that. And we've moved, you know, this is the, what, the, say the third sit? Uh, this would be, yeah, we would have had three, yeah, third yeah, set. Yeah, yep. and we've moved three times, right? Yep. So it was all just kind of based off of, it's like, well, first one didn't work out. So we went to the second spot. Second spot was a little better, but we learned some stuff. Honed into the third spot. Third spot was pretty good this morning, you know, gathered yep. even more intel. And we're going to move again tonight. So for me, it's just like, kind of starting more macro, right? And then you just kind of work in micro and micro and micro based off of, you know, what you learn, what you're seeing, you know, things always look different on a map than they do when you get your boots on the ground. So you got to get in the woods too. Um, And just, yeah, trying to pick apart a a chunk of ground and and put yourself in between, you know, where the deer are coming and where they're going. Yeah. I mean, I think don't camp out is is what's coming through in your message. So don't say, oh, this spot looks so good. I'm just going to sit here the whole time. You know, you have a limited amount of time. So the more you see, the more odds are that you're going to see what you saw this morning. Mm-hmm. And now you'll tweak based off of that and maybe see that deer again, or even a different deer. And, um, so I think that's one of the things we've been trying to tell the new hunters that are here too, because the way this place is set up is it's, there are food plots all over the place, right? There are acorns everywhere. You about fall if you're walking down the hill, cause there's so many of them. And so when people come here to hunt, they almost always camp around those food plots. And so we're encouraging people, no, you need to get off of that, you know, get into the areas where they might be leading to that way, but they're not, you're not going to shoot a six-year-old deer walking out in front of you on the food plot, most likely. And so that's exactly what you're doing. And hopefully that example will rub off on some of the guys here. Yeah. And, and you know, this is, every situation is unique, right? If you only have access to 40 acres and that's the only place you have to hunt, you know, 
maybe being aggressive is not the key because if there's deer on that property and you bump them off, they may find a different property to travel through or live mm-hmm. on, you know, et cetera. So you got to play that a little differently. Um, you know, when I hunt public ground, I don't mind being aggressive because if I mess up, I, I'll go somewhere else, you know, on a chunk like this, or we have 3000 acres to play on, you know, you have a little bit more room for error, right. And you can be a little bit more aggressive and, you know, a shorter hunt like this, it's, you you're never going to score from the sideline, right? You got to put yourself in the position to score. Um, and that's what we're trying to do. And even so we got close this morning, but you know, those deer don't get to five or six years old without being smart. And sometimes they win. A lot of times they win, right? It doesn't always work out for you, but you got to shoot to score. And that's kind of my mentality with hunting whitetails. Yeah. I think we'd all rather have an encounter like that, even if it doesn't work out as opposed to sit there and you see like a button buck, you know, yeah. three times during the same hunt. Yeah. And that, yeah, to your point, that mature deer, he come in there looking at the footage and the minute he got something he didn't like, he stops and, and these deer become statues. I've seen him stand in one spot for 20 minutes and not move a muscle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he starts salivating, which means he's stressed. Right. Mm-hmm. And you see his ears going and then eventually, yeah, you didn't get a shot. And, but he was there, you know, he was on the doorstep. So it was still an awesome hunt. Oh yeah. And that was, you know, Anytime you see a deer of, of that age class, right, regardless of, of what the hardware is on top of the head, like they're just beautiful animals. And, you know, I think by, by kind of doing that, by moving around, by trying things, you know, that's how you kind of pick up woodsmanship skills. You learn how deer move through certain areas. You learn why deer move through certain areas. And every time you do that, it's like you're just adding a, a tool to your quiver, right? So when you go to the next property that you've never hunted before, hopefully you can you know, utilize some of those tools that you picked up on the last hunt. Um, and that's kind of my mentality. It's just like always trying to learn and grow and, you know, be better and, um, kind of, you know, move forward, move the needle in the right direction. Yeah. We have so much more knowledge now about deer and hunting too. I mean, that's one of the things that I love working at NDA for and that we're on the forefront of all of that, you know, the research and getting the information out. Cause I remember we were talking about camo. My first set of camo was an old hand-me-down that my dad had, right? It had no R&D in it. I can promise you, <laughs> very, little, very little R&D, at least from deer hunters. Um, and then I remember, like, you know, my dad would say, oh, here's a scrape. And, and you would just set up over the scrape, right, and sit there and as long as you had to until that deer come back, which normally it never did. And now we just know so much more about deer movement. And, you know, you mentioned pinch points and food to bed and thermals and controlling wind and all these things. And so we're much better equipped. So along those lines, I'll ask you this, I'll ask you two more questions. One, uh, your, your absolute favorite piece of first light gear. So we'll start there and then I'll ask you the second question. Oh, this is a tough one. And I get this question a lot too. And I feel like my answer changes, um, which I guess is the goal, right? If I'm not, if my answer is not changing, I'm probably not doing my job. Uh, I would say right now, my favorite piece of first light gear is the source jacket. I think it's the most versatile, piece in our whitetail line you know it can be used as outerwear you know in more mild temps or earlier seasons um it transitions you know seamlessly to your second layer right or like a mid layer underneath some of the other outerwear when it gets colder um it's quiet it's really packable i just i think it's a really versatile piece and it's probably the piece i i wear the most other than maybe a wick hoodie which is always my next to skin foundation piece so i'll go source jacket well I was going to say, I would say the same thing. That's my favorite. Yeah. And I've worn it every day of this, of this hunt so far. So, all right. So we know it's the source jacket. Now from a hunting perspective, your, your best hit, what is the most important thing when you're, when you're going out to try to kill a mature deer, mature buck, what's, what is the, what is, do you feel is the most important thing you need to consider to do that? 
if I had to pick just one, which I don't think you can do with just one, it, it takes a lot of them, but if I had to pick just one, I would say in general, my answer would be scent. And I think, you know, there's obviously a lot of layers to that. It's, you know, your entry and exit, where are you laying ground scent, right? Is that going to be in a place where that deer is going to be traveling through before it gets to you or not, right? Um, you know, number two is obviously wind direction because that's blowing your scent in a certain direction. Number three would be if you're in a place with topography, you know, there's some thermals. But what I've found is you can fool some of the deer senses. What I've never, like, you're never going to fool their nose, right? I, and my, that's my opinion. I think they trust their nose more than anything, and it's one of their most keen senses. So I think kind of managing your scent, controlling where it is, understanding, you know, where that deer should be coming from. Now they don't always come from there, right? But stacking as many of those scent odds in your favor, I think will equate to probably, you know, more success or more opportunity than maybe anything else that we do as whitetail hunters. Yep. Yep. Great answer. So when this is all said and done, January comes and goes, how tired are you? You know, I think it's one of those things where at the very end of it, you know, we're all tired. It's been a long season. We spent a lot of, you know, both bandwidth mentally and physically to get there, mm-hmm. but it takes me about a day of not being able to do it. And then I miss it and I'm excited <laughs> for the next season. So it, that tiredness goes away pretty quick. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I think I got about maybe 12 or 13 years on you. Yeah. I'm to the point where I need, I can hunt a couple of days and I need a break. Yeah. So I would tell you, go at it as hard as you can for as long as you can. Yeah. And uh, keep building those memories because that day will come no matter how passionate I am. I'm like, you know what, if I don't take a mental health day today, I won't hunt good tomorrow. Yeah. But uh, no, I was just curious about that because you're going to put a lot of miles on. Well, and I think that's a great tip too. Like this is supposed to be fun, right? If you're burned out or you're not having fun with it, do something else for that day, you know? And, and I, I'm a big proponent of having other hobbies. I do a lot of other things other than deer hunt, you know, both in season and off season. Mm-hmm. And I think that invigorates me, you know, to continue to still have fun with this because it's not the only thing I do. And, you know, if it's not, if it's the first or second week in November and I'm burnt out, I'm probably still going to the stand because it's the first or second week in November. But yeah. other times throughout the year, it's like, if I need to go skiing or go for a mountain bike ride or, you know, do trail run or whatever, I'm going to do that or, you know, spend time with my family, with my wife. Like I'm going to do that so that I appreciate I'm having fun when I'm in the stand. I'm not just doing it because I'm supposed to. I think that's really important. Yep. Well said. Well, thanks for taking the time here. Hopefully, uh, whenever we actually put this together, we'll know the results of the hunts and maybe we'll be talking about you can, you track that deer down. And uh, thank you also for all of First Light support, not just the financial support, but also you, know, you being here, sending a cameraman that makes adds to the hunt. So we appreciate it. Well, we appreciate obviously the relationship with NDA. You know, you guys do a lot to help us out too. And I think it's a really important, you know, if we don't preserve, um, you know, this pastime and, and frankly, the critters that, um, we like to chase and we don't do everything we can to, you know, manage and maintain that. Obviously we don't get the opportunity to share these camps and do these things. So, you know, I appreciate you guys having me out here. I appreciate everything NDA does, um, you know, in line with first light and stuff that we partner up on. It's had a huge impact, you know, not only for us, but hopefully also for you guys. And I think, you know, two minds are always better than one. So it's great to have, have good partners in this space. Yep. Couldn't say it any better than that. Thanks a lot, Greg. Appreciate it. Thank you. Doctor, there was a lot to take out of that interview, but the thing that struck me, and it's something I didn't know going in, is how much research and development and testing goes into 
a first light product before it hits the market. That stood out to me. And and that's the same thing that stood out to me because everyone knows that when you get to this higher level camo, and I'm going to use it as gear is the word as you did in the interview, it, it's tough in this day and age to open up that checkbook or that purse and cough up money. But I think what we all should understand is the fact that when you are going to pull the trigger and make that purchase, what you're buying was well thought out, well vetted, well tested, field tested and lab tested. And so that you should rest a little easier in the sense that you're going to get something that is worth your hard earned dollar. Yeah. And in, in most cases tested for two years before we actually see it. And so, I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool. I was really impressed by that. I wouldn't have the patience for it. If I come up with a great idea, I'd want to see it out on the market right away. So to wait two years, uh, it would be tough for me, but good for them. Obviously great product. And Greg's a big time hunter, by the way, he got himself close to a nice deer out there and he's very meticulous. I was watching him uh, with his camo treatment and he's hitting that, he's hitting all of his gear as soon as he comes out of the woods with um, Ozonics before he puts it back on. And so like, I'm sitting there being a little bit lazy. I'm like, you know what? I need to step up my game because this guy's looking at me and he's probably like, look at this hoodlum. <laughs> he's, he's just, he's not, uh, not following protocol. So anyway, it was fun to hunt with Greg. I wish he'd have got a deer. I don't feel too bad for him though. He's headed directly to Kansas and who knows by now he may have already gotten a deer out there, but it was a lot of fun to have, uh, have him in camp. So, all right, Mike, I think it's time. Unfortunately, I can't hide from it. It's time to do this episode's version of the B team report. I want to go first on this one, Mike, because I just want to get the misery over with, right? I was going to say rip off the Band-Aid. Yeah. I know it's going to hurt, so I'm just going to stand there and say, just let's just punch me in the face right now <laughs> and just get it over with. All right. I had I had a few to pick from, but I'm just going to stick with the, with the uh, low light of all of them. So the other day, I wanted to check... Uh, a couple cameras that I had out on the property. Actually, I didn't really want to do that, but what happened was one of my mobile cameras that's been out there since July, the batteries died like right as the rut is kicking off. And I'm looking to see what my target buck's doing. And that particular camera is the one that he was all over. And he had gone missing for a while. And we're going to talk about why that is here in just a minute. But anyway, the batteries died. So I thought, well, I'm going to run out there. I need to swap these batteries out. It's right before I'm leaving for Kentucky. And I think we had some rain in the forecast. It wasn't an awful day to be out there walking around. And so I picked it and then I thought, if I'm here, I might as well then jump on my Ranger and go and do it, check a couple others because my thinking was the deer are not, they're not unused to seeing and hearing that Ranger driving around and they might actually feel less threatened if I just did it that way. And so that was the plan. And so I went out there and Checked the first camera and then come back and pulled the Ranger out, which was good because it had sat for several weeks without going anywhere anyway. So it was good to blow the dust off and drove down to my first camera site, checked that camera and started to head out. And I thought to myself, now don't forget, don't hit that boulder 
that's up on your road like you did last time because you hit it last time and you got lucky and didn't hurt anything. So that's going through my mind. Well, then by the time I get there, I'm driving down that road and wham, like knock your teeth out, jarring. And I'm like, I can't believe I just told myself do not hit that boulder and I hit it anyway. It's kind of hidden in the brush, which doesn't help. And I've, you, I've told myself you were going to not interrupt you, but you were going to move that thing. You were telling yourself, don't hit it. But what I should do is I should actually pull it while I'm going down past there. That's what you, that's the story that you told me. Yeah. And that's, that's true. That's exactly where I was just going with this is that I had just told myself that I need to move that thing out of there. So I'm like, all right, hopefully I'm lucky and we're all good. But as I'm getting off the, as I'm getting off the machine, I thought I could hear a hiss. And sure enough, I walk around to the right front and not only is there about a three quarter inch gash in the side of my tire, which by the way, that means your tire is useless. So there's, you know, who knows how many hundreds of dollars. And then I noticed that the rim also is bent. Now, is it bent to the extent, doesn't, it may not be bent to the extent where it can't be reused, but it probably is. And so now, luckily, the only positive was I was at the top of the hill and I had a short distance. I could just get it backed into my garage where it sits because I didn't have time to fix it because, of course, I was leaving for Kentucky. If that's not enough, yeah. Now I'm like, you know what? The hell with it. I'm going and checking the rest of my cameras. I'm just going on foot. I'm not going to be hunting here for a week anyway. It should be fine. And so I'm doing that and it's kind of warm and I'm sweating. And at my last camera location, I take my hat off and I take my glasses off and I set them there. Change the camera or change the, change the memory card in the camera. And then I head back. I start heading out of the driveway and I realize, oh, where's my hat? Oh, where's my glasses? Well, I can tell you where they're at. They're laying down at, below the trail camera, the last trail camera that I checked. So basically at that point, I said, you know, I need to just get out of here and restart this day. And so there you have it. I'm sure I've done a few hundred dollars worth of damage to my ranger. And now I've got a hat and a pair of glasses laying at the bottom of the tree under my trail camera. So how's that for a couple hours in an early afternoon, Mike? <laughs> I know. I mean, when you called it, I mean, the first thing that you said, I can't, let me see, what was the text message? Um, boy, do I have a story to tell you, but nobody was hurt is I think the, the way that that message came across. And I was like, oh boy, we have, we have something that could be potentially epic. Well, I did move the border or the border. I did move the, the boulder. And so it's, it's out of the way, but now I have to get, spend some time and get that machine fixed. Good luck beating that one. What do you got? I got, I have still been doing, finishing my honey-do list from my wife. So I haven't been hunting much, but I will have to say that my only B team report is unfortunately non-hunting and non, you know, outdoorsy related is that, um, somebody actually stole my identity and was using my credit card to make purchases. And what I will say is that my credit card company, I, I appreciate how quickly they recognize that some of the purchases were not my type of trend of purchases, et cetera. But the one that I think hurt my feelings the most was that 
there was two purchases to match.com for <laughs> subscriptions, number one, and they didn't flag those. That that really hurt me. I mean, in a in a very deep and unsettling type of way, you know. So um, that's that's really all I have. I mean, and I'm you know obviously dealing with the whole issue of you know your credit reports and blah blah blah, and and you know taking care of all of that stuff. But um, not not very fun. I mean, unfortunately, I mean this is supposed to be lighthearted and fun, but it's you know this is the reality. I mean, I just. I'm dealing, have been dealing with this for about the past, you know, four or five days. Well, I, I thought my first reaction was they must have Googled you and said, this guy needs help. So we're going to get him a couple match accounts, but uh, <laughs> I don't know how, how much your wife would appreciate that. But yeah, that's uh, wow. Yeah. That's worse than even having, you know, it's bad enough to have your credit card used, but it's even worse that they would use it for something like that. I mean, when it happened to me, I think that there were some purchases made at like a Kohl's department store or something like that that got flagged. And uh, anyway, well, I'm sorry to hear that doctor and ho hopefully with any luck, they'll catch the person that did this and string them up by their toes and then just let them hang there and forget about them for a while. That's, that would be my preference. Well, unfortunately that probably will never happen, unfortunately, but you know, the, you know, for the person out there that is probably never listening to this show, you know, shame on you for, you know, taking advantage of people like that. Not just me. Like, I'm sure if you do it to me, it's, it's just to a bunch of other people. And for people that do that, you know, that's, that's just low. That's just dirty. And, you know, <laughs> you were saying about, you know, making my, I had a couple of, you know, first light purchases that I wanted to make. Well, guess what? That credit card now has to be the numbers shut down and I have to get a new credit card. So that's going to be delayed a little bit more. So that even kind of adds more sting to the, to the wound, you know? Well, good luck to the person that connects with them on Match.com. You're getting a real winner there. But uh, at any rate, I'm glad you're financing somebody's uh, love life there, doctor. It's very nice of you. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's the B-Team report. It's a good one or a bad one, depending on how you look at it. And I'm going to continue along this line of unfortunate uh, un unfortunate tales from my life because I had mentioned earlier that my target buck had disappeared. We're talking Pennsylvania now, we're back in Pennsylvania. Why is that? Why did the target buck disappear for a while, Mike? Well, because we had a one heck of a plan for you to actually have a face to face close encounter with him that we had vetted very, very thoroughly. And you just needed to go and execute. Yeah. You know what they say? I, we always said this in football practice. We tell the players, every one of these plays works great on paper. And uh, you got to execute it. And guess what? That's where I failed. So, yeah, we did. We put together a plan. This deer has been, I've talked about him before on here. He's been daylighting. He's been comfortable. I've been hunting him very sparsely. But he was always at a bit of an uncomfortable range for me. And so I'd been hunting out of this big box blind that I had really set up to be just a lookout or a place to, if I ever wanted to hunt firearms. But unfortunately, that was my best spot to be able to hunt this deer. And I felt like that the deer were getting onto it and purposely staying away from it. So we set, put together a game plan, had what we thought could be an acceptable wind. It took me an hour to sneak into the spot where I was going in and setting on the ground and coming in the complete opposite way from where I ever had before. And I'm hunting with a crossbow at this point. I, I've never shot a deer with a crossbow, but this was going to be potentially the first chance. 
uh, mostly because for where I expected him to pop out and where I was, I just it was just going to be really difficult <laughs> to use my, my bow. And so anyway, uh, I thought maybe this would be a chance. And uh, sure enough, we'll keep a, a much longer story shorter. Uh, the target buck shows up kind of at last light and he's working his way out in front of me and he comes to within range. And so I'm lined up on him. I'm even on shooting sticks and I think this is it. I've got him. He turns broadside. I pull the trigger. I hear a sound. I hear an arrow hit something and or a bolt, I guess you call it. And the deer runs off a hundred miles per hour. I hear him crashing into the woods and I think good hit. I don't see my bolt anywhere, which has had a lighted knock on it. And it's it's dark enough that I say, you know what? I'm just going to walk out of here. I'm going to call the doctor and we're going to come in the next morning. We're going to go find this deer, which is something I commonly do at night. I'm not big into tracking at night if I can help it, especially if I'm not sure exactly where I hit. And so the doctor and I, we go up early the next morning, walk out to where the shot was, and we find nothing. We find no hair. We find no bolt. We find no blood. We walked out several trails that we expected that the, that the buck ran out on. No evidence of anything. And uh, what the final analysis, doctor, was was what? Well, I will say this, and and I will say, you know, obviously, let's not hold them anymore. But it's, it was a clean miss. But um, I will give you credit for doing something that I never would have you know, never would have crossed my mind, I guess, because I'm, I don't want to say cheap, but I really value what I spend my money on. But after we had looked for over an hour and you said, I'm going to try and take another shot to see where that bolt should have landed because you had already, like I'd stood, I stood in the field where the buck was, you ranged me like that's where he was right there. You cut loose a shot to see if the bolt would bury itself or it would lay on the surface. And the one thing that was very useful was the fact that you're like, that's the exact sound that I heard, which was technically your bolt hitting the ground. And, um, obviously is, you know, you not to steal your thunder, but, um, as you said, you know, you, you actually have picked him back up on camera, so he's none the worse for the wear, but go ahead on with your story. Yeah. We, we feel that the bolt is buried in the ground and the deer was ends up the deer is completely unhurt because I started getting pictures of him again. Uh, not at daylight, of course. <laughs> He's a night walker all of a sudden. But uh, anyway, I'm hoping he'll settle down and show back up there. But anyway, um, we assumed that the bolt buried in the ground, which is why we couldn't find it. I went out subsequently and then shot that crossbow, which I'm not going to mention the name of it. it. It's not an expensive one. It's one that I picked up, frankly, with a bunch of uh, Cabela's points that I built up over time. And I just wanted to try one because I thought it'd be fun to shoot one. And I thought that it was sighted in, but it, uh, I shot it. It was about eight inches high and eight inches to the right. That's pretty concerning, right? Eight inches is might as well be a mile on a deer. Then I shot the next shot and it was low, but at least it was, uh, or I'm sorry, it was, it was to the right, but the height was correct. And so I moved it to the left, the scope to the left, and I shot again. And this time it threw it completely over the top of the target. And so I said, you know what? I obviously have issues with this crossbow. And this is not me making excuses. I mean, I was on sticks. I was calm. And I felt like I was on that deer. But I told you, Mike, if I'm going to have a crossbow and use it on occasion, I'm not, I, need, I need to just get a good one. And so I reached out to our friends at Mission Crossbows and put in an order and they got me a new one back 
uh, within, uh, within a week. And I was shooting it and I was just amazed at the technology difference between the, the mission uh, that, you know, their, their flagship model versus what I was shooting. And so now I have a, a, I'll say a real crossbow. And if I choose to use it again, if I miss now, it's definitely totally on me. So anyway, I learned a lot of valuable experiences there, uh, unfortunately, the hard way. So let's pick us up a little bit. You have some good news. I do. So yeah, I went to Kentucky, didn't kill a deer there. I did come close to a big buck. I would say he was, he may have been a Boone and Crockett's level buck. Ran out of daylight. Just one of those deals, three day hunt on a 3000 acre property. It's hard to get on them. So, so let's not spend a lot of time talking about Kentucky other than we had a lot of fun out there. Uh, I did though in Delaware just the last couple of days, uh, I shot out of my, I, I hunted four days. I shot two does with my bow. And so I back to back nights, I was able to fill doe tags on adult does, get them to the processor, Mark's meats. Uh, if you're listening out there, Mark, love you. Love, love taking uh, my, my deer to you. They do a great job. And so I have filled my freezer with two nice sized does uh, on that hunt. I did get close to a shooter yesterday morning. I just drove back. But what happened was it was one of those, the biggest swear word you can hear as an archery hunter is light and variable winds. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what it was. And the wind was kind of shifting around. He got my wind and uh, away he went. It was a really nice looking deer, but that's the way it goes. I plan to get back sometime in December and take another crack, but I'm back in Pennsylvania. going to get back on the saddle and see if I can't still get on my target buck or one of the other nice ones that's running around. And as you know, I've sent pictures to you of a couple others that showed up that hadn't been around. So it's, it is that time of year. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I'm starting to pick up the buck that I would really like to have a face-to-face -face encounter with. Uh, he's, he's given me fits because he's a very inconsistent and B he hasn't shown up in daylight since October 16th, but he's been close. Uh, yesterday morning I was out and he showed up probably 10 minutes, 10 minutes before shooting light, about a hundred yards away from me. And, um, I never knew he was there until I checked cameras. But then with that being said, he's still in the area and he didn't have a doe. He didn't pick one up yet. Now we have some bad weather moving in today and early tomorrow, and then it's going to ease up. But the good thing is, is that I was well down like that hundred yards. I was a hundred yards, even further downwind of him. So he has no idea that I'm hunting, which is what I like. And, um, I'm just going to keep slugging away. He's a nice, you know, nice four and a half year old, you know, big bodied, big rack eight point. And, um, we'll see how that, that plays out more likely, you know, than not, it'll be a lot of effort, but if I, if I luck out, I will be, I'd rather be lucky than good. Yeah, I hope by the next episode, we're talking about tags that we filled. And that's a great deer that you're after. And I'm enjoying going along for the ride with you. That's one of the fun things about this is we're sharing images back and forth. We're sharing stories. We're talking strategy. How, what should we do here? What should we do there? Uh, you and I came up with the strategy together to go after the target buck I'm after. And that was cool. And we talked some strategy on your situation. So, yeah, we're just going to keep after it. It's interesting, Mark Kenyon had put out some information about saying about how, you know, the rut's not always that wonderful. And he did shoot a nice buck at the beginning of the rut, but he talked about how many days after that he went without even seeing a buck. 
and that was the same thing that I ran into for the most part in Kentucky and also in Delaware. I only saw in, in four days in an area that's loaded with mature bucks. I saw two bucks the entire time. One was a little scrapper, 18 month old, and then the other one was this nice one. That's it. That's eight sits. And I saw two bucks in the middle of the, the what would be the sort of the peak of the, the you know, chase phase or the seeking phase of the rut. And so it is not always wonderful. And I was had some back and forth with Mark about that yesterday, actually, on my way home. And uh, we talked about that. And so that's the same thing with you, Mike. If it wasn't for trail cameras, you said this to me yesterday. We would think that, man, there just were no bucks running around. But we, thanks to the trail cameras, we know they're out there. Yeah, I mean, I, it, that was probably what this, this, I mean, I've only sat six times this season so far. So um I had one evening hunt where I was skunked. And then yesterday morning I was skunked, didn't see a deer. And I would have thought that there wasn't a deer in the, in the world, kind of like what Kip was saying, you know, you could be 200 yards away and you're having the worst hunt of your life, but yet, you know, just over that next hill or in that next Valley, it's, it's a, a rut circus. So, um, that's the thing that camera told me, you know, really kind of perked me up. It said, okay, listen, you're, you're in here, you're close. It's just a matter of playing the game and not not losing that focus. And that's something that I like to pride myself in is that I, I really try to keep my, my head in the game until it's time to stop playing. So, um, but that little, that saying that uh, series of pictures that I got in that trail camera over that mock scrape that I made told me that, Hey, you know what? You're in the game. He's visiting your mock scrapes. It's just a matter of time. You know, if you play your cards, right, that you might have a chance or you might not, but that's, that's part of it. I'm not going to, you know, not going to cry over you know, the fact that I don't fill a tag this year, but I'm going to play the game. I'm going to play it as hard as I can. Yeah. You never do know when that opportunity might come and you only do need to see one. So it's not like you need to see 20 anyway. And so we'll keep at it. We're going to have some changes as we're recording here today. We're getting about in this part of the world anyway, actually most, most of the East Eastern seaboard is getting uh, inches of rain <laughs> coming up through right now. And so right behind that, though, is going to be the first, what I would say, real cold snap. Where we'll have several days in a row where the low is below freezing. And so I've, I've still had to cut grass up to as recently as last week, which you shouldn't be doing in the middle of November in the Northeast. So um, I'm, I welcome that, not because it's going to suddenly make you know deer move any differently or anything like that. Um, as we've talked about, I mean, it, it, it may have some impact on a little more daylight movement, but uh, it's just better and more comfortable hunting in those conditions. And I know I just enjoy it more. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Those long state, steady, dry air masses in conditions aren't conducive for anything really. So you need these changes, the wind shifts, the moisture, the, the precipitation, I, I, in my opinion, to, to really get things, you know, kicking. I mean, I was driving to work today in rain, running the windshield wipers and I saw more deer than I've seen in the past two weeks. I mean, I, I had little bucks running out in fields. I had, you know, five or six doe being harassed by a decent buck. I mean, so, I mean, it just, I think they feel different too. You know, I just think they feel it just, it's a different feeling for them, but you know, who knows what really goes on between their ears. And even just having a, a softer forest floor to walk on. I mean, we've talked about it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You step into the woods up until today before this rain and every deer in the County knows you're in the woods because it's so loud. And I really struggled with that in both Kentucky and Delaware. You've talked about struggling with it as well. So it looks like 
we might finally get to that point where everything's kind of damp and soft and we can move around a little bit. Right. You can, I mean, I've been playing it very tentative just because I didn't want to give up that my hand, you know, and the fact that chipmunks and squirrels sound like elephants out there. I mean, it's just, it's just tough right now, but that's okay. It's part of it. It's part of it. It's part of it. We're playing on their field. It's always an away game for us when we're out there trying to uh, get close to one of these deer. All right, folks. Well, with that, let's go ahead and call it a show. We appreciate you listening. Check out our website, deerassociation.com, our social channels, especially our Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram accounts. We are putting out tons and tons of content right now of this being really the peak of deer hunting for just about everybody in the country. And so we take advantage of that too and put a ton of stuff out there. Even if you're sitting on stand and you got your phone and you're looking for something to do, sit there and read some of our content. Uh, some of you old schoolers are shaking your head right now saying we shouldn't be doing that on the stand, but that's the world we're living in right now. Uh, if you're out there still trying to fill a tag, good luck. Firearm seasons are starting up in several states right now. This might be your first time out for some of you. And so if you're going out, good luck also. Be safe. Let friends and family know where you'll be at all times. And let's keep our hunting accidents to a minimum or better yet. How about zero? Thanks again for joining us, folks. National Deer Association, where we are united for deer. <laughs>